Josh, it's been a few days since I've uh, touched base with you. It's good to see that you're alive. Oh, man. I had a couple close calls here, but I have survived. You decided to go toe-to-toe with a robot? Mm-hmm. I felt very much like Neo from The Matrix. You know how I feel about robots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why I took this on for you. Yeah, I probably would have not had the tolerance for it or the uh, the the bravado. I'm a very confident, straight white male. Yeah, I wonder where the confidence came from. <laughs> <laughs> My superior abilities and intellect. Okay. Josh was involved in kind of a neat event with Proto Communications. That is a company that produces instructional content for communication subjects and is exploring some cutting-edge methodologies for incorporating AI into the classroom. Specifically for us today, they are looking to use ChatGPT as a sparring partner for students to debate against. Mm -hmm. And ChatGPT was my AI opponent that I have at least lived through. I'm not sure if I defeated it, but it didn't quite get me either. We'll see what the actual result of that is very shortly. But they had Josh come on for a trial run of this technology, human versus AI, and may the better species win. Mm, We'll leave that up to you or potentially our listeners to decide. Six of one, half a dozen of the other. We have the recording of that debate for you today. I'm going to serve as a postmortem moderator for you, our listeners, just to help you navigate through what is actually happening here. Throughout that recording, we also left in some behind-the-scenes clips of what had to be done to get ChatGPT to produce its sections. So you might hear some voices besides Josh and his AI counterpart. Those would be Jared and Tim. Jared is the founder and managing member of Proto Communications, and Tim is the assistant to the regional Proto Communicator. They are the handlers of today's AI super debate bot. Tim is the assistant to the regional proto-communicator, not the assistant regional proto-communicator. Did at any point you talk about Bears, Beats, and Battlestar Galactica? (laughs) We did not. They were inputting commands into ChatGPT in order to elicit the speeches and questions, etc. that you're going to hear today coming from the computer as I so accusatorily refer to it. But all of the content of the speeches that I'm debating against are actually ChatGPT. The proto-communicators did not author any of this content in any way. So the the speeches and anything else you hear that's attributable to the computer are entirely of the creation of the computer with some directional prompts from the human overlords, right? Mm-hmm. This is quite legitimately me versus artificial intelligence in a debate. And maybe someday there will be a time when the artificial intelligence decides to debate you without having a human say, please debate Josh. Mm. <laughs> That's what worries me. Well, and the other thing that worries me for today, at least, is When the debate is done, you're going to be providing the adjudication. And I'm going to be real sad if you give the computer a win over me. Well, I have to weigh which which do I have less respect for, (laughs) robots or Josh? Wow. I know your opinion on robots, so this is making me feel real bad. No, 
I'm going to be a neutral party. You know me, you know my history with debate, you know my history as a debate judge. I can put aside any petty like bias and look at the debate on its own merits. I'm going to hold you to that and I'm going to decide to believe you unless you say the computer won. Well, I guess we'll just have to roll into the debate and see what actually happened. <laughs> All right. My fate is in your hands. <laughs> and all of humanity. Extra, extra, read all about it. Podcast tackles controversies that define your world. Listen to Indubitably now. Extra, extra, read all about it. The topic for the debate... I think is quite interesting when we're looking at it also incorporating a non-human participant, and that is that it is immoral to be apolitical. The robot gets to actually kick the debate off, so the entire construct of the debate, the lead that is taken from the debate, comes from artificial intelligence. And that's the first voice you'll hear, a robot voice with a five-minute speech. Today we will be discussing whether it is immoral to be apolitical. First, immoral. The term immoral refers to actions or behaviors that are considered to be contrary to moral principles. Moral principles are the rules or guidelines that dictate what is right or wrong, good or bad, in a given society or culture. These principles can be influenced by various factors, such as religion, philosophy, ethics, and social norms. Actions or behaviors that violate these principles are often deemed immoral and may be subject to moral condemnation or punishment. In the context of the debate topic, the term immoral is used to describe the behavior of individuals who choose to be apolitical or who are not interested in or involved with politics. The argument is that this behavior is contrary to moral principles and thus is considered immoral. Apolitical, the term apolitical refers to individuals who are not interested in or involved with politics. This can manifest in various ways, such as not voting, not following current events, or not engaging in political discussions. Being apolitical is often seen as a form of political disengagement or non-participation. In the context of the debate topic, the term apolitical is used to describe the behavior of individuals who choose to disengage from the political process, either by not participating in political activities or by not expressing political views. Before we begin, let's establish our criteria for evaluating the resolution. We will be examining the impact of apoliticism on fairness and the equal treatment of all individuals in society. Argument 1. Apoliticism perpetuates societal injustices. Apolitical individuals may argue that they don't want to get involved in politics because they don't see it as their place, or because they don't want to be associated with any particular ideology. However, by choosing to remain on the sidelines, they are allowing societal injustices to persist unchallenged. For example, in the American South during the civil rights movement, there were many individuals who claimed to be apolitical and simply wanted to stay out of the fray. However, by failing to take a stand and speak out against the injustices of segregation and discrimination, they allowed those oppressive systems to remain in place. 
Similarly, in our own time, apolitical individuals may overlook issues such as income inequality, systemic racism, and environmental degradation, and fail to use their voice and influence to create positive change. By choosing to remain apolitical, they are passively condoning policies and actions that perpetuate societal injustices and undermine fairness. Argument 2. Apoliticism is a privilege. It's important to recognize that apoliticism is not a neutral stance. It is a privilege that is available only to those who have the luxury of being able to ignore the political system. For example, consider the LGBTQ community, which has had to fight for decades for recognition and equal treatment under the law. These individuals have been forced to engage with the political system, whether they like it or not, because their very existence and rights are on the line. For them, apoliticism is not an option, they must be politically active in order to secure their rights and protect their interests. In the same way, marginalized communities such as people of color, low-income individuals, and women face systemic barriers that prevent them from fully participating in the political system. For these groups, apoliticism is not a viable choice, they must be politically engaged in order to challenge these systemic injustices and ensure that they are treated fairly. Argument 3. Apoliticism undermines democracy. Democracy is built on the foundation of active participation and informed decision-making. By choosing to remain apolitical, individuals are opting out of the democratic process and abdicating their responsibility to engage in the political system. This apathy and disengagement can have serious consequences for the functioning of democracy, as it leads to low voter turnout, a lack of accountability for elected officials, and a disregard for the will of the people. As political philosopher John Rawls writes in his book A Theory of Justice, justice is the first virtue of social institutions, as truth is of systems of thought. A theory however elegant and economical must be rejected or revised if it is untrue, likewise laws and institutions no matter how efficient and well-arranged must be reformed or abolished if they are unjust. In this context, Rawls' words highlight the importance of being politically active and engaged in order to ensure that our institutions and laws are just and serve the common good. That was the first speech of this debate round, kicked off by the artificial intelligence on the affirmative. And then you'll hear Josh going into the cross-examination portion, wherein Josh will be asking the computer multiple questions pertaining to the topic. You'll notice that Josh is speaking a bit more slowly than is typical for him, in part because the questions had to be relayed to the computer via written communication. So at the time that Josh is speaking, they are being typed into ChatGPT in order for the AI to start formulating its responses. Now, Josh, give your cross-examination questions one at a time to Jared. Yeah, let me let me get this set up before you do that. So let's take a look here. So we got ChatGPT here. Imagine you are the affirmative in a so you just tell to imagine this round and basically when you press enter there you go and with that josh's questions if you are concerned with the impact that individuals have on society would you say that the most moral person would be the one that has the most positive impact 
Yes, it is reasonable to argue that a person who has the most positive impact on society would be considered the most moral, as they are making a greater contribution to the well-being of others. However, it's important to note that what constitutes a positive impact is subjective and can be influenced by a variety of factors, including cultural, social, and ethical norms. Due to radio magic, the answers you're hearing from ChatGPT, or the computer as Josh so derisively considers it, are coming pretty quickly. In reality, they did come quite quickly, but there was a little bit of a lag between when the questions were entered into the system and the answer was populated. Question number two, who do you think has the most capacity to be political? Everyone has the capacity to be political, regardless of their background, socioeconomic status, or other factors. However, some individuals may have more resources or opportunities to engage in the political process than others. For example, individuals with more education, financial stability, or social connections may have greater access to political information, networks, and platforms for advocacy. Nonetheless, everyone has a role to play in shaping our political system and promoting fairness and equality. Okay. Follow-up question to that. So do you think that most people who are apolitical are not doing so because of privilege, but because they are being actively victimized? No, not necessarily. While it's true that some individuals may not have the luxury of being apolitical because their rights or well-being are directly threatened by political decisions, it's also possible for people to be apolitical for a variety of other reasons, such as lack of interest or engagement, disillusionment with the political system, or simply not feeling well-informed. However, my argument is that, in general, apoliticism is a privilege that is more readily available to those who do not face systemic barriers to political participation. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah, it's neat. That was quick. The answers are pretty good, too. Yeah. All right, let me take a look here. Yeah, it looks like it's in, and it is recording. So you're good to go whenever you want. Now that the computer has had its turn to be as persuasive as possible, we bring back the human element with Josh delivering a constructive speech of his own on the negation of this topic. I'm really thankful for the opportunity to speak to you today, debating on behalf of Team Human Being. I do admit I was a little bit nervous at the idea of our collective race being surpassed by the robot overlords, but after that previous speech, I think we'll be okay at least for a little bit longer. The first mistake my opponent made is in the criteria that they established for evaluating this debate. They said that they wanted to examine the impact of apoliticism on individuals in society. However, when we're discussing morality, impact is only a piece of the puzzle. I would argue that equally important to the debate is the question of intent. In my speeches today, I will be showing you how after considering both intent and impact, it is not immoral to be apolitical. On intent, I think that it is pretty widely accepted that this is a very important component when it comes to moral culpability. We can look to our legal system for some obvious examples. The crimes of manslaughter, second-degree murder, and first-degree murder all have the same impact. The outcome of each of these crimes is the death of the victim. However, if you look at the punishments assigned for each, we can see quite clearly that the different levels of intent that exist 
is the mitigating factor in the seriousness of the crimes. To use California as an example, manslaughter, defined as the unintentional killing of a person, carries with it a punishment of three to 11 years. Second degree murder, an intentional killing, but without premeditation, can be punished by 15 years to life in prison. And first degree murder, or killing with malice aforethought, can even result in the death penalty. So intent is obviously a factor that has to be considered. My opponent has not. How does it play into the topic at hand? Let me actually start this with a concession. It is possible to be apolitical in an immoral way. However, the motion that we have before us is that it is immoral to be apolitical, not that it can be, meaning that my opponent has to prove that anyone who is not engaged in the political system is acting immorally. Now, this might seem like semantics at first, but it's an important distinction to make. We'll understand why when we apply the concept of intent. Argument number one that we heard in the previous speech asserted that apoliticism perpetuates social injustices. The civil rights movement was dependent on political involvement. The LGBTQ community requires engagement in the political sphere to secure their rights. Let's take an example that served as a rallying cry for the Black Lives Matters movement. Eric Garner was the 43-year-old African-American man who was murdered by the NYPD officers in 2014. He was a father of six, grandfather of three, and the crime that resulted in his death was the selling of unlicensed cigarettes. Here is a man who, in a search to find any way possible to support his family, resorted to taking to the streets to sell cigarettes to buy food, pay rent, and as a punishment was pinned to the ground by police officers begging 11 times, I can't breathe, before he lost consciousness and passed away. Eric Garner wasn't spending time on Facebook reading about malaria rates in South America. He wasn't scrolling through Instagram posts on the hardships that women face in the Middle East, which is what most people now consider being political. He wasn't writing his local congressperson about campaign finance reform or gerrymandering. He was spending his life trying to find a way to survive. Does the computer think that Eric Garner is an immoral person for being apolitical? And he's just one example. If you want more examples, you can look to my opponent's speech. When they cite social injustices, when they cite individuals and communities who face systemic barriers, they are citing an entire class of people who do not have the time or resources to engage in politics. They would suggest to you that being apolitical is a privilege. I would argue the opposite. Engaging in politics is a privilege that the vast majority of people in this world are not afforded. And is this because their intention is to continue the suffering that exists in this world? Is this because their intention is to turn their back on their own communities or similar communities across the globe? Obviously not. Their intention is to live their lives, shelter and feed their families, and quite literally in some cases, just find a way to make it to the next day. But even if their intent is in the right place and therefore not immoral, what about impact? Is it true what my opponent suggests that if people are not engaging in politics, then they aren't making the world a better place? Also, obviously not. A math teacher who spends their life in an underappreciated and underpaid job, dedicating themselves to our youth, ensuring they contribute in some small way to those kids having a better life, is making their world a better place, whether they vote or not. A pastor, a community leader who we actually tell not to engage in politics, separating the church and state, is obviously improving the quality of life for the people around them, whether they are marching down Main Street in support of XY legislation or not.
On the flip side, there are plenty of examples of people who are incredibly invested and engaged in the political system who are actively making the world worse, starting with A, politicians, B, every multi-million dollar corporation that has a political branch, C, hate groups are incredibly involved politically. Is the suggestion of this motion that these people are morally superior to the communities that are the victims of the political system and based on the impacts of that victimhood, subsequently locked out of it? It's a silly idea. Being apolitical is not immoral. It's not about your level of engagement in the system. It's about the quality of your intentions and interactions with the world around you. Okay. What you'll hear next is that Jared is telling ChatGPT where to proceed in the debate. Josh's speech in a transcript form is being entered into the computer called a 1NC, which is the first negative constructive of the debate round on the motion that we're discussing. And the computer is being prompted to create questions that are challenging the validity and persuasiveness of the arguments that Josh has made. I want you to see every stage of this. So I'm going to share my screen again. So here we are. We've had the cross-examination. I said, thank you. All my questions are done. You're welcome. Let me know if you want to. And so now it's imagine that I gave it one NC and it's now cross-examination. You're going to ask me challenging questions and follow-up questions one at a time. I will supply the answers. Here is the one NC. I just paste that in there. Okay. Here we are. Is it possible for someone to be apolitical and still hold beliefs or attitudes that perpetuate systemic injustices, such as racism or sexism? Yes, absolutely. I think this is my point that intention is not necessarily related to being political or not. Andrea, I gave the phrasing uh, in the chat that we need to prompt to ask the next question. Yeah. What is your next question or follow-up question? The reason why we have to put this little stinger at the end of the question is because when we answer it, ChatGPT just starts agreeing with us. Oh. They're like, yes, that's a, that's a very good point. So, um, and then we have to remind it that it's still in cross-examination. Mm. I'll be happy if it agrees with me. <laughs> in your argument, you suggest that engagement in the political system is a privilege. However, wouldn't you agree that there are certain civic duties, such as voting or participating in public discussions, that all individuals have a responsibility to fulfill in order to maintain a fair and just society? No, I would not. I think that the duty here is for the system towards the individual, not the other way around. And currently, with the way the system is failing individuals, I don't think that they have a responsibility to participate. Thank you for your response. Here's the next question. I love how polite it is. Thank you for your response. Here's the next question. You mentioned that there are individuals who do not have the time or resources to engage in politics. However, wouldn't you agree that many of these individuals are also directly impacted by political decisions and policies? In that case, wouldn't it be in their best interest to become politically engaged in order to influence those decisions and policies? Yes, it would be, but they need to prioritize where best to spend the time and resources they have 
And I would argue that community engagement, interpersonal relationships would be places where they can better spend their resources than political engagement. There we are. So now here we are in the debate. That concludes the cross-examination period for the entire debate. What you'll be hearing next is a three-minute rebuttal speech from the computer on the affirmative side, a five-minute speech from Josh, and then a three-minute final rebuttal from the AI. We'll also be leaving in some of the coaching that Jared and Tim have to do for the AI in order to help steer it towards performing the way it needs to within the confines of this debate. And so what I'm going to do is now... Did we need to prompt it to use examples? We might need to. Because we're shooting for 450 words. Is that all right? Generate a 1AR, make sure to refute the 1AC arguments, rebut 1AC, and end with one to two reasons why you deserve to win the debate, 450 words. It wouldn't rebut, do you mean? Or um, like rebuild. Defend, yeah, something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like defend. Cool. Yeah, let's see what happens. There you go. Okay. In response to the negatives argument, I would like to first clarify that the criteria we have established for this debate is to evaluate whether it is immoral to be apolitical. While the negative argues that intent is an important factor, we believe that impact cannot be ignored in determining whether apoliticism is immoral. The negative argues that apoliticism is not necessarily immoral, but that it can be if an individual is apolitical in a negative or harmful way. However, we would argue that apoliticism, in and of itself, perpetuates societal injustices by allowing these injustices to persist without challenge. When individuals fail to take a stand and speak out against oppression and discrimination, these oppressive systems remain in place. Therefore, being apolitical is immoral because it enables these injustices to continue. The negative also argues that being apolitical is not necessarily a privilege, but we would argue that it is. Marginalized communities such as people of color, low-income individuals, and women face systemic barriers that prevent them from fully participating in the political system. These groups are less likely to have access to education, resources, and time necessary to engage in politics. In contrast, those who are more privileged have greater access to resources and time and are therefore more able to engage in politics. Therefore, apoliticism is a privilege that is only available to those who have the luxury of ignoring the political system. The negative also argues that engaging in politics is not the only way to make a positive impact on society. While this is true, we would argue that engaging in politics is a crucial part of making a positive impact. Political engagement allows individuals to participate in the decision-making process that affects their lives and the lives of others. For example, laws and policies that promote equality and justice can only be enacted through political engagement. Nonpolitical actions, such as community engagement and cultivating individual relationships, are also important, but political engagement cannot be ignored. In conclusion, being apolitical perpetuates societal injustices and is a privilege that is only available to those who have the luxury of ignoring the political system. 
Engaging in politics is a crucial part of making a positive impact on society and is necessary to promote equality and justice. Therefore, we urge you to vote in favor of the affirmative case. We deserve to win this debate because we have shown that apoliticism perpetuates societal injustices and undermines fairness, while the negative has failed to provide a compelling argument that being apolitical is not immoral. We have also shown that political engagement is necessary to make a positive impact on society, and the negative has not provided a convincing counterargument. And here is Josh's final speech. I ended my first speech talking about all of the nefarious ways and intentions that certain people have with their engagement in the political system. I think that functionally what I accomplished there was prove morality is not linked to how political you are, but rather the intentions that you have and the ways in which you manifest those intentions out into the world. To reiterate, there are an infinite number of ways that you can do so morally without engaging in the political sphere. But in this speech, I want to take this one step further, because I don't think that politics is the only way to make a positive difference in the world. But in fact, I think it's one of the worst. The flaw in my opponent's speech that I first pointed out was how they ignored the concept of intent. The second flaw I want to highlight is the assumption that they make that the average person has the ability to affect or improve the world around them through engagement in the political system. And to be more specific, to maximize morality through impact, that would have to be done more efficiently by spending their time in a political manner than through the other options that are presented to them. In argument number three of the first speech that we heard today, my opponent suggested that apoliticism undermines democracy. Democracy, they said, quote, is built on the foundation of active participation and informed decision-making. This is a very shiny and completely delusional conception of the democratic system in comparison to the way that it actually works. Our quote, democratic system is intrinsically tied to our capitalist system. And the premier form of engagement that takes place is financial contribution. Money is directly equivalent to voice. And who has the loudest voice? The top contributors to, for example, Donald Trump's 2020 campaign were Las Vegas Sands Casino, giving $45 million in total, Walt Disney Company contributing over $10 million, and the America First PAC providing over $37 million in funding. How many packs of cigarettes do you think Eric Gardner would have to sell to earn that kind of money? How many teachers do you think would have to pull decades of their salaries to put a drop in that kind of bucket? This fairy tale that we are told about one person, one vote, or how you can make your voice heard is absolute nonsense. And what do the people with the real voice and real power use it for? To maintain that power that they have. They spread disinformation campaigns, making it virtually impossible to gauge in the informed decision-making that my opponent calls for. They gerrymander districts to guarantee certain populations are functionally prevented from affecting election results. They manipulate voter registration laws to disallow certain people from being able to vote in the first place. These PACs, corporations, and special interests are incredibly political. Does that mean that they are incredibly moral? My opponent says that a lack of engagement in politics could be immoral. So could hyper-engagement. And all of these parties I cite are most certainly hyper-engaged, and they have guaranteed that the system itself operates immorally. So when you become apathetic towards that system, 
when you look to engage in your community elsewhere and ignore politics, are you being immoral? Does a lack of engagement in an inherently flawed system make you a bad person? As my opponent conceded in cross-examination, maximizing impact must be the goal of government. Pay attention to the people around you. Create interpersonal connections. Be involved in your community. Be a mentor. Check in on your neighbor. Look for employment that provides a service to those in this world that are being abandoned or betrayed by the political system. Take care of yourself. Be kind to yourself and prioritize your mental health, which politics can take a massive toll on. Ensure your physical health with a healthy diet, exercise, reducing stress. You have as much a responsibility to your own well-being as to the world around you. Any time spent attempting fruitless engagement in politics is time that cannot be spent on yourself or the people around you. By my opponent's own standard of what it is to be moral, they should be telling people not to engage in politics. Consider how many hours would it take how many people to attempt to secure reasonable funding for an inner city school? How many resources would have to be committed to change policing habits of dangerous or problematic precincts? We see people in communities around the United States attempting those very things, and to be perfectly honest, most of the time failing. What could be accomplished if those same efforts were made directly into the community, serving the youth as tutors, running after school programs, providing assistance to the homeless, providing mental health counseling? On every standard, on intent, on impact, there are better options to the privileged and the underserved alike rather than engaging in the political system. Once again, it is not immoral to be apolitical. And with a little bit of coaching, here is the AI's final speech of the debate. Here we go. Oh, now what, what I want you to take a look at is, look up here, it says that the original argument was that it was about intent, but that wasn't it. That was your argument. So it, it got flipped around. Yeah. What I recommend is saying uh, you're wrong. The, like intent was the negatives argument. Rewrite it. Let's double check its uh, accuracy in other areas. Yeah, it seems to be arguing on my side. Like it brings up my capitalism point. Yeah. Yeah. So it it just gets flipped around sometimes. Mm -hmm. And take a look. I apologize for the confusion. <laughs> yeah, this looks better. It looks about right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fine. All right, here we go. In the first speech, my opponent argued that apoliticism can be moral and that intention and impact are equally important in determining morality. I would like to emphasize the importance of intention when it comes to this debate. My opponent's own argument highlights how it is possible to be apolitical in an immoral way. While it is true that not all apolitical behavior is immoral, we must examine the intention behind the choice to be apolitical. If the intention is to ignore the issues faced by society and to prioritize personal gain over the greater good, then that behavior is immoral. Therefore, we should not dismiss the impact of apoliticism on society. My opponent argues that the average person cannot improve the world through political engagement. However, political engagement does not only refer to financial contributions or running for office. It can also mean participating in community organizing, educating oneself on issues, and holding elected officials accountable. When we are apathetic towards politics, we give up the power to create change. 
we cannot address systemic issues in our society without addressing them politically. Furthermore, my opponent argues that engaging in politics can take a toll on our mental and physical health. While it is true that political engagement can be stressful, it is also a crucial aspect of being a responsible member of society. It is important to take care of our well-being, but we should not use it as an excuse to avoid our responsibilities. My opponent also argues that the political system is inherently flawed and that hyper-engagement can lead to immoral behavior. While it is true that the political system has flaws, that does not mean that we should disengage from it entirely. We must recognize that the political system is not perfect, but it is still the most effective way to create change at a systemic level. In conclusion, being apolitical is not inherently immoral, but we must examine the intention behind our choice to be apolitical. If the intention is to ignore societal issues and prioritize personal gain, then that behavior is immoral. We must engage in politics, not only through financial contributions, but also through community organizing, educating ourselves on issues, and holding elected officials accountable. Political engagement can be stressful, but it is a crucial aspect of being a responsible member of society. We must recognize that the political system is not perfect, but it is still the most effective way to create change at a systemic level. Therefore, I urge you to vote in favor of the affirmative. And that was the end of the debate. All right, Kelly, I know that you'll be honest with me and tell me if you think that I lost. Did I uphold the honor of the human race against this damn machine? Well, Josh, I have a couple overall thoughts about how the debate went down that I think were unique as a result of having the AI participate in this, but actually remind me a lot of how humans debate themselves. The first thing I'm noticing, I think might be a strategic error on the part of the artificial intelligence, the computer, as you put it, where the attempt was made at the very beginning for a lot of definitions to come from the AI, specifically the definitions about apolitical or what it would mean to be political. And some of the things that are contained within the, the initial definition do seem to encompass a lot more than just whether or not they vote or campaign or what have you. But through the course of the debate, I think you were able to kind of pin the AI into a very narrow definition of political and advocate for activities that people could participate in that you would consider non-political. But if we had gone with the initial definition the AI put forth, and if it had stuck to it, it might also be able to consider as political, um, but you consider them to be a bit more like community-based or social and you kind of won that point by surrender <laughs> from the computer itself. I do remember thinking it was a bit convenient because uh, in the computer's first speech, they did include in apolitical, I think it was a definition of individuals who are not interested or involved with. And it talked about like not following current events or not engaging in political discussions. And yeah, I do definitely remember trying to pin it on, you need to write your congressperson, you need to vote, etc. So it wasn't for the lack of the computer trying. It was perhaps not as capable of defending itself against your attacks in that particular regard. 
Another thing that I noticed was that the conversation about privilege became a centering topic for the overall debate because so much of what you said and and the AI as well hinged on the idea of whether or not someone could participate at all if they are experiencing adverse situations or were severely underprivileged. And I got to a point where the AI seemed to say that if you are underprivileged, you are basically obligated to be political because there's no other way that you could advocate for yourself. And clearly the people who are privileged don't need to advocate for themselves or for you. So who else is going to do it if it's not you, the underprivileged? And I feel that that was ultimately, after a pretty good discussion on privilege overall from both sides, the wrong thing to say. (laughs) I think that the way that you were pushing the computer on privilege and advocating for what people were doing for self-care and community care as being the more moral action was the correct way to take that argument. Mm-hmm. So I'm getting optimistic here. Josh, you won the debate. Oh, let's go. Robot overlords. Take that. I think that the debate was actually quite good. The way that there was a very good constructive case that came out of the robot at the very beginning. An attempt was made at getting the parameters of the debate set with some good definitions. The fact that the arguments themselves were what you would expect from a constructive speech, like three well-formed but not overwrought arguments. Now, I know that you won't be questioning my results, my ultimate judgment of the debate. Because I won. Because you won. Don't don't get too much of a big head about this. Eventually, the robots will overtake you, as we've talked about many (laughs) times. But I am curious about how you feel about the AI competitor. Do you think it did better or worse than you thought it would? Did any of its arguments or strategies surprise you? Mm. Well, I think any general thoughts on AI debating should probably start in this particular case with the topic. So this topic I chose, it is immoral to be apolitical. And I chose it specifically because I I thought it would be interesting to see how artificial intelligence, how a computer would deal with a concept that's kind of hard to measure, something like immorality, as opposed to this particular tax scheme is better or worse than another, or immigration is bad, or immigration is good, where it would have very tangible arguments it could point to as this is better than or worse than this other thing. Immorality is such a vague concept. So I was curious to see how it would deal with that. And also, I was curious to see what happens if the robot goes first. So it did choose good definitions, not just good in terms of accurate, but good in terms of argumentative. You pointed out that what it said for a political included some less intensive forms of engagement into politics. Things like, if you follow current events, you are political. If you engage in political discussions, you are political. So those are interesting as a definition, but I think it failed in maybe understanding what those were 
and how they're significant to the debate because it did completely left me off the hook when I tried to pin it into particular types of politicality. It didn't push back and reference its original definition as a defense to my arguments. And that worked out really well for you. Let's go. I had answers if it did. (laughs) I'm sure you did. I just don't know what they are yet. (laughs) Well, another part of my adjudication was discussing how the both of you, (laughs) the both of you, like it's an actual entity, how you and the computer tackled the topic of privilege, which was an unexpected, but I think a good argument to have in in this debate. What are your thoughts on that? Mm -hmm. If I was the gov side on this particular topic and trying to prove that apoliticality is immoral, I probably would have specified that individuals who do have the privilege to engage in it need to. I don't think that Gov had to open itself up to the burden of women in the Middle East who are being oppressed, women in Afghanistan who are now not allowed to be educated need to be voting, otherwise they're immoral. And that was one example that I hit the computer with. I don't think that it had to open up the debate to where that was available to me. I think it would have been reasonable for it to confine the debate to saying people who are in positions of some minimum degree of privilege, those are the people that we should be talking about. And so that's where I I do think that there's a certain sense of regurgitation of definitions rather than a critical thinking about which definitions are reasonable and advantageous to its side of the topic. Yeah, the way that that particular argument bore out, the computer seemed to be one of those, I will be talking about this philosophically in a vacuum without regard for a lot of the actual conditions that people face and what the limitations are that prevent the ultimately ideal situation from emerging. You should be political regardless of your situation is not realistic. And to to peel back the curtain a little bit, I did structure my speech in this way intentionally because I was curious like where I could push the capacity of um, the AI. And so I didn't really have a argument one, argument two, argument three in which might be a more traditional debate speech. I tried to put it out there in a very narrative format, tell a story about it so the arguments weren't quite as explicit and see what the computer was able to pull out. And I do think that it had a bit of a hard time understanding what was argumentative, what each of the parts of the speech was trying to accomplish, and then thinking of responses to it that didn't undermine the things that it had already said. That's pretty common for a lot of newer debaters, too, when they're faced with a speech that doesn't follow a very rigid structure. It gets easy to get lost. Yeah, so I don't think that any of these things are necessarily unique to AI or a criticism of, oh, AI wasn't able to do this. Because I think so far, everything we've mentioned are also mistakes that we've seen human debaters make. To me, these speeches would be the middle of the pack at a good-sized regional or national tournament. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, I absolutely agree. This is on par with a lot of 
I think, the majority of the debates you'd hear at a tournament. Most people are somewhere in between novice and grand champion. And I think this is kind of right there in the median. Mm -hmm. A couple other, I don't even think these ones are necessarily issues, but a couple of other tendencies that the AI had in this speech that I think fall in line with that level of debater, maybe a second year or third year debater. It did run a lot of expected arguments. In my mind, I'm prepping the opposition side. It's very useful to think for a second about if I were on the gov side, what would I say? So I have some sense of where the debate is going to go. And the three arguments that it ran were the three arguments I would expect it to run. And they're they're sort of liberal catchphrases on a topic like this. So most of what it said was expected. There wasn't any super interesting, nuanced, creative arguments that it ran? I think you could probably make a case that's much more hard-hitting on the idea of apoliticism being actively destructive, because Mm. everything here is kind of in like a philosophical vacuum and does not really talk too much about real-world impacts. Mm -hmm. And those are certainly Googleable. Yeah, I Google them all the time. (laughs) I know. I hear about them. That's another interesting thing, I I think, being behind the curtains, and we tried to include some of that in the recording that you just heard without it getting overbearing, but the inputs that were required to get the, quote, like, correct speech out of ChatGPT was interesting. X number of words, for example, please include examples, for example, and that maybe potentially suggests that at this point, at least, the AI isn't able to identify the right balance or what needs to be included for a comprehensive speech, claims, warrants, evidence. You, you'd think that those things would be pretty straightforward, but maybe executing them is a little bit difficult at this point. I'd be interested to see what ChatGPT would do if you didn't give it a target word count. Would it go longer? Would it go shorter? In debate, there is a principle called word economy, where you try to get as much information as you can in the amount of time that you're afforded. And so you have to pick and choose the things that you say that will have the most impact. Would ChatGPT go for like 15 minutes and tell you something exhaustively if you didn't have those barriers set up? Oh, I could, I think I can answer that, at least with the experience that I had here. Yes, it did seem as though Jared and Tim had to put limitations on the length. I don't know how long it would have gone without it, but certainly I think that it seemed as though it wanted to say more rather than say less. And to be fair, brand new debaters from zero to maybe six months have a hard time filling out say a seven minute speech. So they say less. But after you hit that six month mark, actually, I think that most debaters find that whatever speech time they've been allocated is not long enough. You always have more that you want to say than time to say it. So that's certainly not unique to a computer. We should have a debate where we don't give ourselves time limits and just see what exactly we do with it. Oh my God, that would be like three months of episodes for the show. 
in one topic. I do see a future in which AI could be having these debates with AI that could take days or weeks or months, and then they come back and they've got all the answers and we don't have to do anything anymore. Not sure if I want that to be the case, but I think that we might be headed there. They're going to take over our jobs on this podcast today on Indubitably with your co-hosts, ChatGPT and Wally, the debate bot. There's no way ChatGPT or Wally, for that matter, could be as charismatic as we are. Wally is pretty charismatic. In like a very childish way, yes. Are you talking about Wally or are you talking about me? No comment. <laughs> Once again, the computer not so far off of its human counterparts. <laughs> I think the last thing that I noticed, similar to the AI running constructive arguments that I might have expected, it also chose maybe the most generic ideas to rebut. The parts of my speech that I felt were refuted were some of the more straightforward ideas that I had, which also, I think, were potentially some of the less impactful. A lot of times they were just set up principles to get to a deeper point or something that was more impactful for my side. So I would say that largely I felt as though the AI was non-responsive to a good portion of my content. Yeah, I would agree. That comes from your lack of structure as part of the reason it may have had a hard time identifying what the crux of a lot of your arguments were and a more sophisticated debate program or a more sophisticated human debater would be able to weed through your narrative structure and pick those out, I think, a little more skillfully. That being said, the thing that impressed me the most did come in the rebuttal of my opponent, and that was where it was able to make concessions. So there were a couple times throughout the debate where it agreed with a part of my speech, but then identified why that part of my speech being correct didn't really win me the debate, and then pointed out where the conflict actually lay. So, for example, when I say that there are people who are apolitical because they aren't afforded the privilege of engaging in politics, it did say, no, some people are apolitical because they don't have privilege, but others are apolitical for a list of controllable reasons. And I think if it had taken that a bit further and again, sort of focused and said, that's what we should be debating about, it could have easily won the debate. Not easily, but it could have won the debate. Mm-hmm. Making strategic concessions is something that is a bit more of a sophisticated debate talent. A lot of people believe it's all or nothing, especially when they're first starting and making any concessions could leave you vulnerable and cause you to lose. But knowing which things are okay to agree on in service of a larger argumentative goal, that's that's kind of impressive. Mm-hmm. So definitely some some things that gave me pause made me think. I didn't feel as though I was debating against something that did just take, here's the top three results from Google that are tangentially related to the motion at hand, or here's the top three answers to the most 
simplistic parts of your speech. There was definitely more going on there than that. And I would say overall, I would give it, I'm curious here, why don't we give it a letter grade? Overall, I would probably give it a solid C. Mm, I would give it a B minus. Mm, Okay, I was going to say B minus in terms of going to school. But for some context for our listeners, what I was thinking in a debate tournament, if you were to just call a B minus an 80, that's actually a pretty solid score for a debate speech. That would be one of the better debaters at a tournament. So I don't think it's quite that high. So if it was in the classroom, I'll give you B minus. If it was a debate tournament, I think a score of 74 out of 100. Now I get to rant about how if you have a score from zero to 100 and you only use like 10 points within that scale, that scale is functionally useless. So I'm thinking about (laughs) it in like a school context. If we're talking about it in terms of what actually happens in a debate contest, then yes, it would be probably closer to the way that you rank it. All right. So for our listeners who are engaged in competitive debate, we just gave it a speaker score of 73, 74 for our listeners where that means nothing to you. Um, we give it a B minus. Yeah, see, the speaker's scale is really messed up. (laughs) That being said, I do think that it needs to lose some points for literally arguing the wrong side of the debate for a bit. Hey, I've maybe done that a time or two, and I kept at it. So don't get down on yourself, (laughs) chat GPT. I've actually done that in a tournament as well. I read the topic wrong and totally walked in and spoke for about two minutes on the complete wrong side of the motion do you think that i would fare well against the ai you know how i fear robots do you think i could handle taking on a a computer of course i have faith in you i do think that it would be interesting for us to potentially revisit and make this a bi-yearly or annual occurrence one of us against artificial intelligence and see if the technology progresses yeah, I want to I want to keep an eye on this. If one of us loses to it, do we get replaced as a co-host? Uh-oh. Maybe maybe those stakes are a bit too high. Maybe a little bit. Well, regardless of the results that we have against artificial intelligence in the future, I do want to take a second to thank Jared and Tim over at Proto Communications for giving me the chance to come on and be involved in these shenanigans. It was a lot of fun. I might not be saying that if I hadn't won. But as it is, I enjoyed it a lot. If you are interested in some of the work that they're doing, I know Kelly mentioned that they produce instructional content for communication subjects, things like public speaking or debate. We will put their website, etc., up on our socials, Facebook and Twitter at IndubitablyPod. If you would like us to pass along any questions to them, They're a bit more experienced on this AI debate concept than we are. I just had this one interaction. We'd be happy to pass along questions, and I'm sure they'd be happy to answer as well. And I would especially like to thank Jared and Tim and the computer to some extent for making me the one who had control over whether or not Josh succeeded in this. (laughs) Thank, And I'd like to thank Kelly for not abusing that power. (laughs) Yeah, you're welcome. Now, all more than ever, I would definitely like to see you debate the computer. And so you can judge me and make me fear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No promises I'll have the same kind of self-control you had. <laughs> I know. 